Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Tonight, um, I'm going to be doing a two-part series on embracing the fear of the Lord. So tonight is part one. Next week will be part two. So I'm going to open in prayer. Lord, we come before you. Father, we, we say, God, that we come before you, Lord, as, as your creation. Lord, you are far above us. Lord, you sit high above the heavens. Lord, we just proclaim, Lord, that, that you are to be revered. God, you are to be respected and worshipped and obeyed. And Lord, we just humble, humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to do the thing that you have created us to do. God, to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so embracing the fear of the Lord. Um, this is a interesting topic because often, especially nowadays, in the modern Western church, the topic of the fear of the Lord is, I think, often misunderstood, number one. And number two, it's often, the topic is not very often breached. Um, I, I think in, in both ignorance and in weakness, we can often just really push against the reality of the fear of the Lord um, because we're scared of it. We're, 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 we don't know what to understand. We don't know what verses to say, yes, I believe this, and what verses to be like, well, maybe that's Old Testament, or maybe that's another reality that, that isn't something that I should be embracing. Um, so I'm going to just dive into the topic of embracing the fear of the Lord, understanding the fear of the Lord, and I'm going to start just with a few quotes. So, the first one is by Oswald Chambers. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So, I, I like this quote, but I also think that this particular quote is a little idealistic. Who in here fears God perfectly, and therefore you fear absolutely nothing? So I think that another way that we could say it is the more we learn to fear the Lord, the less we will be overcome by fears of other things. And uh, an another quote by Charles Finney says, There are two kinds of fear. There is that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, which is founded in love. There is also a slavish fear, which is a mere dread of evil, and is purely selfish. So this is the, the, the tension of, of what we're going to explore today, is this reality that there really are two different kinds of fear. There is a slavish fear, a, a, a terror, uh, a just an, uh, a looking at the future in a negative light, expecting bad things to happen. And then there is a righteous, godly fear of the Lord that actually positions us to be more secure in our emotions. 
The righteous fear of the Lord positions us to have more trust, more stability, an our actual anchor to our soul that helps us in the midst of difficulty. So in, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, There is a right fear of God, and when we neglect and ignore that at our peril, and there is a craven fear, a fear that has torment. So there is a right fear of God, and we often neglect that. And when the right fear of God is neglected, we are the ones that lose. We are the ones that are losing the blessing and the benefit of that righteous fear of the Lord. And one more quote um, by a lady named Rebecca Manley Pippert. It says, Whatever you fear or supremely respect the most, you will serve. So whatever you fear the most or whatever you supremely respect the most, you will serve. Now part of me would like to go on like a 20-minute bunny trail just on that one quote. Because I, I, I see the connection of this quote here with strongholds and addictions and things of that nature. What you fear the most, you will serve. I'm just going to tease this out for a second and then we'll get back to the main topic. If I fear, if I fear lack, if I fear not feeling like I'm in control, for example, then when that emotion of fear of not feeling like I'm in control, when that overwhelms me, that, that reality will cause me or someone else to run to the thing, to the vice, to the addiction, to whatever that we feel like we do have control over so that we can then self-soothe and obtain a measure of relief and comfort from that thing. So I, I actually become a slave to the thing that I most fear. If I fear not being, not receiving enough fulfillment in one area or another, or I fear being neglected in one area or another, could be sexual or otherwise, if I fear not receiving what I want or need to the measure that I feel like I want or need it, that is when I become a slave to that thing. And I begin looking outside of God to, to fill that need. And that's precisely because it's the thing I fear the most. I fear lack. I fear not, being, not receiving pleasure. I fear being, being out of control. I fear the future. I fear the lack of finance or whatever it is. I fear that. It, and, and that thing drives, drives us. If, if the fear of that is higher than the fear of the Lord, then that will fuel an addiction. So understanding the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? How are we to relate to it? Should we pursue the fear of the Lord? Should we focus on it? Should we seek to overcome all fear because perfect love casts out fear? Many are conflicted as to what exactly the fear of the Lord means and if we should actually have it. So when I think about this topic of the fear of the Lord, two, two contrasting verses come to mind, and I would assume that if I were to ask you or someone else to give me a verse on the fear of the Lord, I'm going to guess 
I don't have any statistics to prove it, but I'm going to guess that one of these two verses is going to be the dominating verse that comes to your mind. And the first would be Psalm 111.10. There's also a, a verse in Proverbs that's almost identical. And it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you have heard that phrase? You know it well. Or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That, that, that's in, in Proverbs. So and then there's also this other verse in 1 John 4.18. It says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. How many of you have heard that verse? So it says, perfect love casts out fear. At first glance, this can seem like a contradiction. Well, what is it? There's lots of verses that talk about the fear of the Lord. And then we have this verse that says, perfect love casts out fear. So to, to the individual that doesn't know what to do with a seeming dichotomy like this, this can be a problem. This can be a hurdle to our faith. And I'm just going to give a story. Um, a couple books that I've kind of referenced for this teaching, one of them is called The Fear of God, A Forgotten Doctrine, um, and the other is by John Bevere. This is probably more recognizable, The Fear of the Lord. Um, and, and in this book, John Bevere, he... He, he gives a story where he's preaching um, to a group of about 4,000 people in another country. And essentially, he comes to the meeting. It's a, uh, he's you know, uh, traveling overseas to go to this meeting to, to preach. He comes to the meeting. The worship is skillful, but he does not sense an ounce of the presence of the Lord in the room. First of all, I want to say, generally speaking, a single individual's perception of God being present or not is not a hard, fast indication that God isn't there. Just, just to get that out there. But, for the sake of the story, as the story goes, he does not sense the Lord's pre presence. He senses people, people are talking. They never stop talking. There's always, you know, distraction. They're not focused. They're not listening. To, they're not engaging in worship. They're not listening to the preliminary message. They're just all over the place. And in essence, the Lord speaks to John and says that there was a lack of reverence, a lack of fear, a lack of hunger in the 4,000 people that were there. And so God wasn't there. Where God was saying, I will show up if you revere me. I will show up if you want me. I will show up if you, if, if you seek after me. But if you don't want me, I'm not going to be there. So essentially, John Bevere, he, he preached on the fear of the Lord. And the Lord it moved in the place. There was repentance. Waves of the Lord's presence came. The, uh, and there was a, a lot of good things happened. But the next day, that lead pastor decided that he was going to speak his message. And he came and basically debunked everything John said. And his primary verse was this verse in 1 John, where it said, perfect love casts out fear. So he was basically saying, you know, that we shouldn't have the fear of the Lord. We should not 
tremble before him. We should not, we should not have that, that fear of the Lord in us because perfect love casts out fear. And it was just this matter of fact, I'm going to give you one verse that debunks this idea. And I, I give you that story because it is all too common that most, most of the time when we stray from right belief, most of the time when we find ourselves believing something that is not biblical or less than biblical or probably wrong, most of the time it is because we take a singular verse and we misunderstand it and we misapply it. So one of the things that I've learned as I've, as I've read and studied in, in, in some of my Bible school classes is that as we approach Bible study, you never take a singular verse and run with it. You never take a singular verse and build a doctrine out of it. You never take a singular verse and wave it in the air and say, this debunks everything else. So that's important as it pertains to the fear of the Lord because nowadays we, we have more and more pastors, denominations, individuals that are proclaiming Love, love, love. God is love, love, love. And therefore, we shouldn't fear him. So the ungodly fear of God. The ungodly fear of God can manifest in a few different ways. I'm going to list three. There's possibly others. But an ungodly fear of God can manifest as running from God instead of to him. So I can have a wrong perception, a wrong idea of the fear of God, and this manifests as me running from God instead of to Him. So if I possess the fear, this fear of God, it motivates me to run from God instead of to Him, and I am not walking in the biblical fear of God. The gospel, rightly understood, should positively overwhelm us when we see how merciful and patient God really is which should motivate us to run to God even when and especially when we see the ugliness of sin in our heart. In other words, we should understand the gospel so clearly, we should understand the abundance of God's mercy and His kindness, His pleasure towards us, His reaching for us, that even when we are stuck in our sin, even when we most clearly see the wretchedness of our human heart and how our own hearts have chosen sin, how our own hearts have deviated from the truth, how our own hearts have hidden things in darkness, even in that spot where we sense our sin the most, if we understand the gospel rightly, we will be motivated to run to God because we will understand that the safest place for a sinner is at the feet of Jesus. The safest place for a sinner is running to the cross as fast as you can. The safest place for someone caught in a trespass is pleading the blood of Jesus. There is no safer place. So an incorrect view of the, of, of the fear of God is to run from God instead of to Him. Another way that an ungodly fear of God can manifest is when we lack to trust God. 
when the trust of God in our heart is lacking. So this is defined by the experience of never trusting God fully because of a lack of confidence that enough has been done to please God. Have you ever felt that? In your life, you feel like you haven't done enough to please the Lord? Because you're still wrestling in one way or another, you feel like God isn't pleased, and therefore we, 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 we lack trust. We can't fully settle. We can't fully rest in God because we don't fully trust Him. This belief leads to rarely having peace and living to earn God's mercy and affection through performance, all the while living with anxiety, with feelings of never measuring up. And I'm on page two if you're following in the notes. So on some level, this is also a misunderstanding of the gospel and thinking that our salvation is only complete when we have the cross plus our performance. So we, we, can, we, we can have an ungodly fear of the Lord when we lack trust. If I am constantly throughout my life, if, I, if I'm evaluating my life, if I look over the past three years, and everywhere I look, I see anxiety, I see me not having rest, not being able to rest in the presence of the Lord, and I'm just constantly anxious, constantly never wondering if God is happy with me or not, that is a trust issue. Do I trust that God is for me and not against me? Do I trust that in the cross there is fullness of freedom, fullness of forgiveness, that I am fully accepted? I'm not accepted because I can perform better than I could last year. I'm not accepted because I can run faster than the person next to me. I'm not accept accepted because I... I'm more diligent with my tongue or my time or my eyes or any other part of me than, than my spouse or than someone next to me. When we talk about as a church being gospel-centered, the gospel is to be front and center and at the top of our understanding of everything. It should impact every part of our lives. And the gospel, rightly understood, leads, leads us into a place of trusting Him and putting all of our trust in the Lord and not in our performance. And in another way that we can have ungodly fear is as a, is it manifests as a false and hollow fear of God. A false fear of God. A hollow fear of God. And this is probably more common than we realize. Particularly because this topic of the fear of God, it's not taught that much. More and more, different parts of the body of Christ are kind of renouncing it or speaking against the fear of the Lord. So in today's culture, we can often have a misunderstanding of the connection between love of, of the love of God and the fear of God. If we aren't reading verses on the fear of God, if we're ignoring them when we do see them, this is quite possibly why we don't actually fear God at all. And perhaps we don't even think we need to. And this is a grave mistake. 
So have you ever been reading your Bible and you stumble across a phrase, you stumble across a statement about who God is, about how he acts, and maybe that statement is in the Old Testament. So you look at it and you're like, well, what do I do? Does it apply? I mean, there's pastors today who will tell you don't even read the Old Testament. There's pastors today that will say, just rip that, rip the, whatever it is, the 75% of your Bible out. So when we're looking at a topic like the fear of the Lord, we need to understand that the whole of the word can and should be read and digested by us. No, I don't need to follow the ceremonial or the dietary laws of the Jewish people. There are things in the Old Testament that don't immediately come to bear on my life now. But when we're talking about the distinction between a holy God and a created humanity, the distance between us and him, and the, the, the differences between us and him, that remains, even post-cross. So the, the cross gives us access to God, but it doesn't fundamentally mean that I am therefore like him and shouldn't, should no longer fear him. Does that make sense? So, the false fear of God, this was present in Isaiah's day, and it led to God shutting the eyes and ears of the prophets. So Isaiah 29.10, For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophet. He has covered your heads, the seers. So what happened that was so wrong in the eyes of God that he turned to the prophets and the seers and said, no more. I'm not going to let you see in the spirit. I'm not going to let you hear the word of the Lord. I am shutting it down as a, as a complete whole. That's what God did. He shut down the prophetic. He shut down the ability for the so-called seers and prophets of that generation to see and hear. That meant that anything they proclaimed, anything that they said that they saw or heard, was a figment of their imagination and not the anointing of God. That's a big deal. So here, in verse 13 through 16, it expounds on why this happened. It says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, that they remove their hearts far from me. And their fear of me is in the command of men learned by rote. What does that mean? The fear of God was hollow. The only essence of the fear of God that was present was the no heart connect verbal declaration of, yeah, you should fear God. The command by rote. It was, it was just like, it's powerless, empty. Their hearts were far from God. But the public declaration of, you should probably fear God, that's all that was there. So therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvel marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, 
wisdom of their wise men will perish. The discernment of their discerning men will be hidden. Woe to those who deeply hide their counsel from Yahweh and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, he did not make us. Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has, he has no understanding. So the fear of God was in appearance only, and God knew it. There are two lies that are highlighted in this passage that are the foundation of this empty fear of God. Lie number one, God doesn't see me. So we see the people are drawing near to God with their mouth. Their, their lips are empty. Their heart is disconnected. They don't fear God. But they're present. They're showing up. They're showing up, but their heart's empty. Their heart's disconnected. There's no fear of God. There's no reverence. There's just this, this verbal phrase throwing out like, yes, fear God. And here we see two different lies that they believe. God doesn't see me. This lie leads to a lack of the fear of the Lord or a fake fear of God. If God doesn't see my actions and my motives, then I will be tempted to pursue measures of sin without fear of consequence and perhaps even run hard after sin with no expectation of punishment. If God doesn't see you, then who gives a rip what you do with your life? If God doesn't see you, if God doesn't see me when I'm by myself, if God doesn't see me when I'm at home alone, if God doesn't see me when I'm on my phone browsing, if God doesn't see or doesn't care, then I am left to live however I want, pursue whatever I want, with no fear of consequence. And the second lie is that God isn't that different than me. There's not really much of a gap between me and him. I might be physical and he might be a spirit being, but other than that, there's not much of a difference. This was the second lie. This lie leads to a complete indifference towards God. We may believe that he exists. We may believe a host of other things about God, but in the end, we don't see him as totally other than. We don't see him as high and lifted up. We don't see him as deserving of fear. We don't see him as deserving of reverence. We don't see the need to obey. We don't see the need to worship. We don't see the need to serve. This leads to living however we want. We see no demand on our lives from God. It says, woe to those who deeply hide their counsel. Their deeds are done in a dark place. So they don't believe that God sees. And then second, shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? So man is basically saying, 
God didn't make me. There's no vast difference between him and me. This claim that God has no claim on my life. This dominating reality was fleshed out through these individuals being present but having no fear of God. And this lack of the fear of the Lord caused God's presence to be removed and the manifest anointing to lift off of those who the who that group of people thought were anointed. No more visions, no more dreams, no more word of the Lord. Why? Because the fear of God was absent. And in the place of the fear of God, we think, God doesn't see me, and he is not really that different. The, the whole potter clay thing, like, I don't care that he made me. I mean, what is that to me? What is that to me that, that I'm created and he's uncreated? That, that difference, that gap doesn't lead me to do anything. It doesn't put a demand on my life. And in Psalm 36, 1, it says, Transgression speaks to the ungodly within the heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So the question is, what voice do we want to be loudest in our heart? If, there, if, if there's no fear of God before my eyes, then the biblical proclamation is that something will still be speaking to you. Something will still be resounding in my heart. I will hear a voice. But with no fear of God, that voice will be the voice of transgression. It will be the voice of sin and flesh. It will be the voice that amplifies temptation. The voice that leads me down a dark path. The voice that leads me away from the cross. The voice that leads me in fear to run away from God instead of to Him. So I get to choose. If the fear of God is before my eyes, then the voice that I will have in my head is the voice behind me saying, this is the way to turn. This is the way you should go. It will be the voice of the Lord guiding me if the fear of the Lord is before my eyes. And that is what we should be aiming for. So the invitation to discern the fear of the Lord. Roman numeral 4 on page 3. The Bible makes clear that God does not reveal himself equally to all people. How many of you know that? How many of you like that? How many of you like thinking that there are people alive today that know more of God, encounter more of God, experience more of God than me or you because they want him more, because they revere him more, because the fear of God is more prominently in their sight than in mine. So the fear of the Lord is the door into discovering the knowledge of God. So Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, it says, My son, if you will receive my words and 
treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. I mean, we've probably, hopefully, read over that passage lots of times in our Christian walk. It's fairly common for believers to read through the, the Proverbs. So hopefully we're somewhat familiar with that. But how easy is it for us to just rush past that without slowing down and saying, wait a second, there's like a massive amount of contingencies here. There's all these things that I need to do in order for me to discern the fear of the Lord, in order for me to discover the knowledge of God. So the knowledge of God, if we want to know him, the doorway into knowing God is the fear of the Lord. It's like w when I taught on prayer, and it's like I'm crawling on my belly to get in the cave. The way in is the fear of the Lord. There's no way in to encountering the knowledge of God without rightly aligning ourselves, rightly responding to the majesty of God with our hearts. The, the, the right alignment of our hearts toward God. If you will receive, if you will treasure, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, cry out for discernment, lift your voice, if you seek, if you search, then. So there's something about the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord, that God is not simply just casting abroad. He wants to be known by all, just to be clear. He died on the cross so that all men could, could have the potential to be saved. But he also says, if you want me, you're going to have to do something. If you want me, you're going to have to let go of things and run hard after me. You're going to have to, as Pastor Scott has been mentioning, dethrone ourselves and enthrone God in our hearts. So the righteous fear of God. The fear of God begins with seeing and receiving the truth of who God actually is. When we treasure who God is and we turn our ear incline our heart, cry out for, and seek after God, it is then and only then that we find the fear of God and conclude that he is altogether lovely and worthy of our wholehearted pursuit, our worship, our devotion, our and our obedience. If we are having a hard time coming to those conclusions that God is worthy of our wholehearted pursuit, that God is worthy of our worship, our devotion, and our obedience. So if we're having a hard time, if we're not sure if we believe that, then we haven't entered in through the fear of the Lord. We have yet to see with our eyes the beauty of God that is available to those who rightly fear Him. So God sees all. 
So if you remember, one of the lies in Isaiah 29 was that God doesn't see me. God doesn't see. So lack of the fear of the Lord was connected to this belief that God doesn't see, I can do what I want. So what is the truth? The righteous fear of God is, is receiving the truth of who God actually is. The truth is this, God sees all. One of God's names is Elroy, meaning the God who sees. There's lots of names of God, and I'm assuming that a lot of people, we know a few, but we don't know others. And if I were to guess, this would be one that is not that common as far as people understanding it. So this is an official name of God, the God who sees. This name came from Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarai, Abraham's wife, who was sent away and almost died in the desert. You can go r read that story on your own. But in the midst of her almost dying in the desert, God encountered her, God saw her plight, and then she responded with, Lord, this is who you are. And that declaration of who God is has stayed ever since she declared it. How awesome is that? When, when we're talking about the knowledge of God and we're talking about the names of God, all the names of God, or most of them, that's how they came to be. Somebody encountered God in a unique way and they proclaimed it with their mouth, Lord, this is who you are. You're worthy of my obedience. You're worthy of my devotion. You're worthy of my worship. You're worthy of, of, of my, the whole trajectory of my family line has shifted because I see you. And I see the revelation. This is how you revealed yourself to me. And then they release, God, this is who you are. You're the God who heals. You're, 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 the, you're our banner. You're our, our righteousness. And all those, all those names of God, most of them came out of something like this. And then that name is subsequently used throughout Scripture. So... This attribute of God, his ability to see all, is expounded upon throughout the scriptures. And I'm just going to give a few examples. Matthew 6, 3-4. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts. And then each, man, each man's praise will come to him from God. So God sees what is done in secret, and he also is the God who brings to light the things hidden in darkness. And he will disclose the motive of men's hearts. And then Romans 2.16. On this day, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So God will judge the secrets. So that here are these two contrasting realities. A lack of the fear of God says, God, you don't see. And even if you do, it doesn't matter. Because I don't think I don't think you're 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 impotent, you're powerless, you're not interested. Who cares? There's some stronghold of a lie that says something to that effect. If we lack the fear of God, 
So the fear of God is the entrance into the knowledge of God. So the fear of God is dynamically connected to what is actually true. If I want the real righteous fear of God in my life, I have to actually believe about God what is true about God. So, and that's why I listed out this reality that God sees all. And we see Old Testament and New Testament. We see this proclamation that God sees. So the revelation that God sees is an aid to me in pursuing the fear of the Lord and receiving the righteous fear of God because I, I, I come under that. I should have front and center in my understanding that God sees. God's going to uh, uncover the hidden motives of the heart. He's going to bring wicked things to light. And that informs me as I walk out my life. And that should inform my actions. That should help me run from sin. It should help me run to God. It should help me pursue His mercy. It should help me rightly align both my actions and my belief system. Because I see that God, you see everything. And if you see everything, then I need to live in a way that is honoring to you and not like that passage in Isaiah 29 where the people, they show up. The people are there, but their hearts are distant. They're not engaged. They're like, he, I, I'm the clay, he's the potter, who cares? I can do what I want. He doesn't see me. There's no, there, there's, no, there's no difference between him and me. And that lack of the fear of the Lord is what amplifies and magnifies and strengthens strongholds. So I did not even get through my four pages. Good thing there's a part two coming next week. So I, I, with a, a teaching like this, I give the notes so that you can go back and look at the passages, meditate on them, look at their context, and pray through it. Like the, the, if, 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 if a, there's a difference between a message just generally being enjoyable to listen to and a message that feeds our spirit or a message that rightly, like, you know, going to the chiropractor and getting realigned. The Lord wants our hearts to be realigned with the fear of the Lord, a right understanding of the fear of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, we proclaim as a church that we want God to show up. We proclaim as a church, God heal, God touch incurable diseases and incurable maladies of the body. Touch, come, show yourself as totally other than. If we want God to show himself as totally other than, then we need to say, okay, God, you are totally other than, and that's going to inform the way I live every day this week. And not just inform my presence on a Sunday. So the aim of this message is to realign that back crack of like, God, show me. And it's not just about you hearing something for the first time. Let me just say that. Like, it's easy in the charismatic church to like be attached. Tell me something new. 
tell me something I've never heard so I can be entertained, so I can enjoy it, so, so I can laugh at your funny joke. But it's like, and, and I'm going to talk about this more actually on Sunday, if I'm preaching Sunday. I'm preaching Sunday, and I'm going to talk about this more as it pertains to prayer. But the reality is that God is to be rightly, we are to respond rightly to God regardless of what we perceive the benefit is today. And the fear of God is one of those realities where I fear him not because I'm expecting some immediate thing from God. I'm not fearing him so I can be entertained more. I'm not fearing him so so I could get a dopamine drip from something new being spoken to me. We respond in the righteous fear of God because he is totally other than. He is higher. He is altogether not like us. We are created in the image of God, yes, but he is altogether not like us. And he should be he should be worshiped and feared and pursued for the for the reality of who he, who he is and not just us shaping him in our image. All right. Amen. So Lord, God, we pray that you would God just touch us this week, God, as we as as we continue to seek you, God, some of us are fasting in different ways. Lord, we pray we pray God that you would realign our hearts, our understanding. Lord, we pray that we would rightly rightly see you for who you are. God, we want to buck the trend of American Christianity and rightly align with truth and say, God, we are supposed to fear you. We are supposed to reverence you. We are supposed to tremble before you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to embrace that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 